Hello, everybody. It's such an honor for me to come into your homes today. Anytime I preach, as always, we want Jesus to get bigger, the cross to work better, the resurrection to be central, and scriptures to get bigger, not smaller. I want to talk to you today about Pentecost and what Pentecost meant. Pentecost was a spring feast. Here's what the Jews did, and I think it's very clever. They built into their calendar regular moments of ritual in order to remind themselves of certain parts of their walk with God. It it was centered around how do I live my life in such a way where I stay God conscious? And one of those feasts was the end of the spring feast cycle, and it's called Pentecost. Now, you might be familiar with that word in the sense that churches say they're Pentecostal. And so as always, words matter less than people's imagination of how those words operate. So if if I say the word Pentecostal, you might immediately think of some very loud, raucous, almost weird sort of worship experience. That might be the imagination that comes up in your mind. Or you might have a a, a more healthy view of it where you go, you know what? There's a lot of energy and there's atmosphere and there's a celebration of the Spirit of Christ. Your imagination of that word just comes from what you thought it was and anything you've experienced up till now. And so what I want to do is I want to examine that word and what it is and, and hopefully recapture a healthy imagination of how that word functions in our world. Because when we look at scriptures, we want to look at what happened. And then more importantly, we want to look at what's happening in me right now because of what happened. Now, these feasts are outlined in the book of Leviticus. And and in the gospels, the gospel writers tended to organize Jesus's entire life around how he fulfilled these feasts. So they're, they're really important. One of those feasts was called Pentecost. And so I'm going to ask you just for a second to suspend in your imagination whatever you thought Pentecost was and, and give me a few minutes and we're going to examine this from scripture and then ultimately ask ourselves, how should we respond? Now, this is Leviticus chapter 23, verse 15, and it's just simply the account of how Pentecost is supposed to work. This is what it says. From the day after the Sabbath, the day you brought the sheaf of the wave offering, count off seven full weeks. Count off 50 days up to the day after the seventh Sabbath. So there's 50. That's where the word penta comes from. So it's 50. 50 days up to the day of the seventh Sabbath. And then present an offering of new grain to the Lord. From wherever you live, bring two loaves of, bring two loaves made with two tenths of an ephah of fine flour baked with yeast. Now this is interesting. This is the only command I know of in scripture where they're commanded to make bread with yeast, not unleavened bread. So this is leavened bread as a wave offering of first fruits to the Lord. Present with this bread, seven male lambs, each a year old and without defect, one young bull and two rams. They will be a burnt offering to the Lord together with their grain offerings and drink offerings, an offering made by fire, an aroma pleasing to the Lord. Then sacrifice one male goat for a sin offering and the two lambs, each a year old, for a fellowship offering. The priest is to wave the two lambs before the Lord as a wave offering together with the bread of the first fruits. They are a sacred offering to the Lord for the priest. On that same day, you're to proclaim a sacred assembly and do no regular work. So this was a Sabbath that was basically a day off to party and celebrate something about what God had done in our life. This is to be a lasting ordinance for the generations to come wherever you live. When you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien. For I am the Lord your God. 
So this was the account of Pentecost as recorded in Leviticus. And so what I want to do, because some of that language would have sounded weird and, and, and just out there and maybe a little barbaric. And, and it was, but at the time it was something that was far progressive. It was something moving the word forward towards the risen Christ. So let me just give you a short history of Pentecost. Essentially, you had a guy named Abraham who had a son named Isaac, who had a son named Jacob, who had 12 children, who 11 of those children sold one of their brothers into slavery into Egypt, only to later need him to save them from a famine in Israel. And instead of retaliating, he took mercy on them and he served them a meal and gave them a piece of land in Egypt. And then they started procreating. And that family became sort of a clan, a big family and then a clan. And then it got really big, big, big. And they, you know, sort of overpopulated Egypt. So the Egyptian king decided, you know what? We're not going to do that. We're going to enslave those people to hold them down. And 430 years later, God raises up a deliverer named Moses to get the people out of slavery and into freedom. And through a series of unbelievable events, they get through the Red Sea and they end up at a place called Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is sort of a strange place because they're told you can't go forward, you can't go backwards, and don't come near the mountain. Literally stand still. So a couple of thoughts about this and how that plays into what Pentecost is. So first, the very basic. The Jewish people celebrate this day as the giving of the Torah, the day that Moses came down the mountain with the Ten Commandments or what they would call a 10-word ketubah, a 10-word marriage proposal. And, and, And wrapped around this day is the word 50. It's always 50, 50, 50, which in their world meant jubilee. So 50 was a number that meant everybody gets a fresh start. Everybody gets a second chance. Everybody gets a do-over. Anybody that owes anybody anything, it's all wiped clean. So all the imagery around Pentecost was around this idea of fresh starts, second chances, do-overs, clean slates, mulligans, the opportunity to write a better story. It's Pentecost was a celebration of you look across the aisle and you used to have something against that person, but we're going to let it go. We're going to let it go for them. And you know what? They're going to look back at you and they're going to let it go for you. Could you imagine a world where you set aside a day where you just let it all go? The feeling of freedom on the inside of you would have been palpable. It would have been unbelievable. It was the day that Torah and freedom worked together, that God's word and God's spirit came together to create a free culture. So in the most basic sense, this was a day that they celebrated God communicating to his people for the first time. And the mixture of God's word and God's spirit led to freedom. And there was a response. And that response is, let it go for them. If God let it go for you, you can let it go for them. That would have been an amazing thing. And they set this day up every year to celebrate that very thing. Now, there's some even deeper things underneath that thing. So there's a story underneath that story that makes the story make more sense. So Mount Sinai, the scene at Mount Sinai with Moses is the same day of Pentecost later. They actually set aside the day of Pentecost as a celebration of that moment at Mount Sinai, which leads to this question. How did they see the moment at Mount Sinai? Now, to the Jews, if I can do a quick caricature of this, there, I have a whole 40-minute message on this, but just as a quick caricature of this, the book of Exodus is organized as a 
five-step marriage proposal. In, in the ancient world, they did marriage through five steps. If you're if you're a Bible nerd and you want to know the words of that, the words are laka, segula, mikvah, ketubah, and hupa. Right? Laka, segula, mikvah, ketubah, and hupa. Now, if you in English, it's going to be a bit better. So laka would be the stage in the relationship where you ask someone to be yours. It literally means my own. Uh, segula was the stage in the relationship where you would pronounce that person as the most important person in your life. Literally, segula means my treasured possession or my most special uh, treasure. Uh, uh, mikvah was a three-day warning before you're going to ask them to marry you to say, or three day notice might be a better way to say it. A three day notice to say in three days, I'm going to ask you to marry me. So I want you to go wash and make sure you're consecrated because in three days, I'm going to ask you to marry me and I want you to be clean so I can touch you. The, the, the fourth stage was ketubah, which was essentially a marriage contract. It was the basic agreement two people are entering into to say, we're going to get married and this is how our relationship will look. This is what, this is what will be allowed. This is what will not be allowed. This is how we'll conduct ourselves. And so what you would do in those days is the two people thinking about getting married would sit down and they would write a ketubah. And I could put anything in the ketubah I wanted and she could put anything in the ketubah she wanted so long as we both agreed. And what would happen is our fathers would be there for two purposes, for witness and for wisdom. Because young people getting married, they might think certain things are going to be happening, but in reality, marriage doesn't really work that way. So the fathers would be there going, yeah, probably not that or that, and then they would witness it. And this ketubah would be the 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 playbook so to speak for how our marriage is going to work once the ketubah was finalized i would then ask the person to marry me based on what we just agreed to in the ketubah and then the fifth step was the chupa and the chupa was the actual wedding ceremony the chupa literally means to be covered in god's presence it, it's when you stood underneath the hoopa at the wedding, underneath the presence of God. And at the wedding, there was always two hoopas, one at the wedding altar and the other over the marriage bed so that when the marriage was consummated, it was done so as witnessed by the presence of God. So that is a very quick caricature of, of how that works. So it was laka, segula, Mikvah, Ketubah, and Hupa. And when you read the book of Exodus, the book of Exodus follows that very pattern. In Exodus chapter six, God asked the, the Israelites, will, I will take you as my own. The word would be Laka. In Exodus 19, he says, out of the whole world, you'll be my Segula, my treasured possession. In Exodus 19 verse 10, he says, in three days, I'm going to come say something to you. So wash yourself and consecrate. The idea is Mikvah. So to the that world, the Ten Commandments were not ten conditions for God to love us. It was ten proofs he already does. It was a ten-word marriage proposal. And if you see the Ten Commandments that way, it makes it really beautiful. Like, hey, don't have any other gods before me. Well, that, well, that makes a lot of sense. Like, look, if we're going to be married, uh, I'd like to be the only one. And oh, and don't have idols, right? In other words, if we're going to be married, don't have the pictures of your old boyfriends around. Like, can you put that away? Oh, oh, hey, and let's take one day a week 
and let it be just me and you. Now, now remember, these people were slaves. 430 years had known nothing but slavery. They never had a day off in 430 years. And God is saying, in our new world, we're going to mandate a day off. No slave listening to that would have went, oh no, God's putting rules on us. It would be like, hang on a minute. Hang on. Did, did he just say in our new world, we're going to get a day off? That's amazing. Oh, oh, hey, don't kill each other. What? You mean in our new world, the biggest, strongest people can't kill the weakest people? We've never known a world like that. In Egypt, the biggest, strongest people could kill any of us with no judicial right at all. Oh, oh, don't sleep with other people's spouses. What? Like in, in, in our new world, the biggest, strongest, most powerful people can't just come in and rape my wife? See, in Egypt, that would have happened all the time. Oh, oh, don't steal each other's things. Oh, wait, hang on. You, you, you mean in our new world, the biggest, strongest people can't just take my stuff? Could you imagine, just for a second, being a slave that's known nothing but slavery for 400 years, and you're hearing a vision of a new world. If I say yes to this God, this is what our life will be like. I get a day off every week. In other words, I'm not a machine. And my life, my wife, and my stuff are protected. This would be the, this would be the greatest thing ever. Could you imagine a slave listening to that? No slave would have went, now come on, God, what's with all the rules? They would have went, hang on, we've never even known what it's like to be human. And so what happens is, is Moses comes down with this proposal of marriage, a 10-word ketubah. Hey, if you say yes, this is what our life will be like. Your life, your wife, your stuff, protected. You're not a machine. We're going to take a day off. This would have been the most liberating thing ever. It would have been absolutely amazing. Now, this is how the Ten Commandments or the Ten Word Ketubah ends. It says, when the people saw the thunder and the lightning, and they heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, they trembled with fear, and they stayed at a distance. And they said to Moses, speak to us yourself and we'll listen, but do not have God speak to us or we fear we will die. It's such a weird sentence. So remember, Laka was my own. Segula was my special treasure. Uh, Mikvah was wash and consecrate. Con consecrate. The Ketubah was um, a marriage contract. And then the last step was Hupa. And, and it says that they're standing at the base of the mountain and the whole presence of God covers them in smoke. Hupa. And it's a weird sentence. It says, and they saw the thunder and the lightning. That's a weird sentence. Because shouldn't you say, I saw lightning and heard thunder? But he doesn't say that. It says he saw the thunder and the lightning and heard the trumpet and then saw the mountain and smoke. So in this sentence, it says he saw thunder, lightning, and smoke and heard a trumpet. When in normal English, you would say, I saw lightning and smoke and heard trumpets and thunder, but it doesn't say that. It says he saw thunder. Now, if you go look that word thunder up, the word thunder, there's the word kole, which everywhere else is voices or languages. It's the same word when it says Moses saw the voice out of fire in the burning bush. So these are the same words Moses used there. It's, it's I saw the voice coming out of the fire, the burning bush. So what's happening in this story is this 10 word ketubah 
has been given. And the people are there and the presence of God covers them and they look up and they see voices or languages inside fire sitting over their head. Now, what would what would they have been saying? The, the, it would have been saying, will you marry me? In, in the Talmud, it says that on this day in history, God proposed to all of creation by using 70,000 tongues of fire. Interesting, in 1857 in Rangoon, Burma, an English sociologist was studying the Burmese people and he noticed a tribal group of people up the mountain known as the Karen people. And he asked the folks, who are those people up there? Those are the Karen people. So he went up to study them. Now, when you're studying a people group, the first thing you ask is, who's your God? Because people become like what they worship. And the Karen people said this, 1857, before electricity, this is what they said. We serve a God named Yava who proposed to us thousands of years ago with tongues of fire from the sky. This is that day in history. So Mount Sinai was the day that God was proposing relationship with a group of people by restoring their dignity. Now, because of this, they set up an anniversary celebration. And think about it. So do you. If, if you're married, what do you do every year on the day you got married? You celebrate your anniversary. You go back and remember. You go back and remember, hey, there was a day I could literally not get enough time with you. Like a four-hour conversation on the phone felt like 10 minutes. And, and, and it's good to go back and remember those moments. So here's here's what God did. He says, you know what we're going to do? We're going to set up a yearly celebration of our anniversary. And that celebration is called Pentecost. So think about your scriptures. Years later in Acts chapter two, it says they were all together in one accord. Why? Because it was Pentecost. And it says that they were in the upper room and they looked up and, and they saw tongues or languages of fire sitting over the top of their head. So the same exact thing is happening on the same exact day, just years later. Now, the difference is this time they spoke back, which is the birth of the church, which would be the bride of Christ. So there's a lot going on here around Jubilee letting it go for them, them letting it go for you. There's a reminder that God does not want to be existent. God does not want to be relegated as an object outside of us, that if we could figure out the right ritual, we can get we can get him to serve us. God would rather be insistent, a relational God that is willing to restore the dignity of what it means to be a human. Your life, your wife, your stuff, your day off, all protected. What an amazing thing. And then, of course, they celebrate this day every year at Pentecost. And at Sinai, tongues of fire sat over their head. The Talmud, 70,000 tongues of fire was used by God to propose to the whole world. And then, of course, in Acts chapter 2, years later, tongues of fire sit over their head. The same exact thing is happening on the same exact day, which leads me to this third observation. The leaven loaves. Remember when we read that they were commanded to make bread made with yeast for this day? So, so here's, here's what would happen. Every year on this day, as a part of the ceremony, the priest would take 11 loaves of bread, bread made with yeast. Now, normally it's unleavened bread, but on this day, had to be made with yeast. And what he would do is he would break it and he would take oil 
which symbolized the presence of God or for us, the Holy Spirit. And he would saturate the leavened loaf with oil. And he would pray a prayer something like this. I thank you, my God, that your unleavened life is willing to become one with our leavened life. I thank you, my God, that your unleavened self is willing to humble yourself and become one with us, that you're willing to fill us leaven and all. And see, that's the issue. See, sometimes I've heard Pentecostals who mean well going, you better get the leaven out of your life for God to use you. You better get the leaven out of your life for God to use you. And listen, if you're participating in something that's destroying your life, you should get that out of your life. But the whole point of Pentecost is that God wants to engage your life leaven and all issues and all that he accepts you right where you are and has from the beginning that what you see in God is not a God that sits above our chaos and disorder, but you see a God that engages our chaos, engages our darkness, engages our disorder in order to bring a better narrative that Jesus meets people right where they are, but he'll never leave them there. He always moves them to the next place from glory to glory to glory. But the point of Pentecost is to remind ourselves that we have never done something something so bad that we're out of reach of God's willingness to engage our story. That's Pentecost. Pentecost is about God wanting to be with you, leaven and all issues and all. This is what Pentecost is. So Pentecost had all these images, 50, letting it go for them, them letting it go for you, celebrating a relational, insistent God instead of an existent object, celebrating those kinds of things. It was a marriage proposal with tongues of fire at Sinai and tongues of fire at Pentecost. And it's centered around a ceremony of leavened bread. When the priest did that, he would say, now the day of Pentecost has fully come. So think about the scripture. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they're celebrating the leavened bread and the oil. The tongues of fire appear again. But Pentecost doesn't end there. There's a lasting command. So just to review, there was the idea of 50, Jubilee, letting it go for them, them letting it go for you. There's the idea of a marriage proposal that God is teaching people how to be human. And he proposes with tongues of fire at Sinai and with tongues of fire at Pentecost. Pentecost was the yearly celebration of this anniversary of the proposal. It's centered around a ceremony of leavened bread and oil, but there was always a lasting command. And I think it tends to get overlooked. Um, This is the last, let me read Leviticus uh, 23 again. This is the last verse describing how Pentecost should operate. This is what it says. Verse 22, when you reap the harvest of your land, do not reap to the very edges of your field or gather the gleanings of your harvest. Leave them for the poor and the alien, for I am the Lord your God. In other words, Pentecostals, we're supposed to respond to this amazing moment with God by looking around their world and choosing to share their good things with the poor and the afflicted to make their world a better place. That was in Leviticus. Fast forward to Acts chapter two. They have an amazing encounter with the tongues of fire and the leavened breads and the day of Pentecost have fully come. Peter preaches an amazing message of, hey, hey, they say yes to this amazing invitation to live your life based on a new narrative of what Christ would be if he was Lord in your life. Peter does this. And if you think through Acts chapter two, remember their response. It says, when they left, they sold what they had and blessed the poor amongst them. In other words, in Leviticus 23 and in Acts chapter 2, the response of Pentecostals celebrating Pentecost was to be generous 
to the poor and the afflicted. In other words, I cannot possibly have an encounter with God here and it not translate to me being more generous out there. Which leads me to a few questions for us to wrestle with for application. One, is there any place your walk with God is causing bondage instead of freedom? Like, where do you see the boundaries that God put up as rules or conditions for him to love us instead of proofs he already does? Number two, will you marry him? Will you say yes to that amazing invitation to relate with an insistent God instead of an existent object? Number three, what leaven does the oil need to wash over for you? Maybe you're listening to this and you're going, that's that's beautiful that God wants to be with me, flaws and all, issues and all, leaven and all. Yes, he does. And I would invite you to say yes to that. Allow, Allow yourself to submit that bit of disorder to the love of the risen Christ and let the risen Christ transform your life. Like, think about it. If he could handle the watery chaos and disorder and darkness before creation to make everything you see, what couldn't he do with our little bit of chaos? if we submit it to him. And I would urge you today to trust Jesus, trust the consent and the love of the risen Christ to engage your story, to make a better narrative. You could do that now. Number four, and lastly, is your relationship with God leading you to make other people's lives better? Listen, as Pentecostals, we don't wanna be known simply as the tongue-talking energetic group. Pentecostals in its rawest form are the people who have amazing encounters with God that will never let it stay there. They're always looking to bless somebody else. The idea is, is how could I possibly have this amazing encounter with God and keep it to myself? And what's the best way to express that to the world around us? Is by seeing needs and knowing we can meet the needs and opening our heart to meet that need. So I'm gonna urge you today to be a Pentecostal, to have those amazing experiences with God, to acknowledge that God has been kind enough to meet us right where we are and then move our life. And he's doing it for me, he's doing it for you, he's doing it for them, and the whole thing is being reconciled back to God. But for us today, Let's not forget the last command, the lasting one, to not reap to the very corners of our field or gather the gleanings of our harvest, but to leave them for the poor. May we never ever have our moment with God and forget the poor and the afflicted. May we respond as they did in Leviticus and as they did in Acts chapter two. May we recapture the beauty of Pentecost. Grace and peace, everybody. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. We pray that you would activate something in your life and shift your life towards Jesus. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, just click follow. We love you. Have a blessed week.